Episode 12, CISSP Success Stories with Luke Ahmed. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 12 of the Cyber Distortion Podcast Series. Kevin and I are besides ourselves tonight because we have a guest on the podcast that quite honestly, we weren't sure if we'd ever be able to get him on. You know, several years ago, Kevin and I met this guy and it has been amazing ever since because his presence in the world of cybersecurity is so important to so many people. There are people out there who don't even realize how important this guy's presence in the world of cybersecurity really is. But they will know soon. If they follow their dreams <laughs> and follow their path, they're going to figure it out, just like Kevin and I did when we got to meet this guy. Needless to say, tonight we have on the one, the only, the infamous CISSP super guru himself, Mr. Luke Ahmed. He is here with us. Yeah. And he is going to be sharing all of his secret sauce knowledge about the CISSP and then some. So, Kevin, dude, what's your thoughts on this, man? You've got to be stoked. Man, where do I even start, Jason? I mean, okay, so dude, this has been such a long time coming. I've been so excited about this because when we first launched this podcast uh, and we reached out to Luke and, and wanted to promote our CISSP episode on his Facebook page, he was the first one to say, Dude, yes, I'm going to go check it out. This is awesome. I'm going to help you promote your podcast because this is great stuff. It was real. He he felt the genuine aspect of it. And we he realized quickly, we're just two dudes that have been through that process and learned from it. So I I really respect Luke for reaching out to us and, and letting us know that we that he was good with doing that for us. He's an ambassador to the cybersecurity community and just... Dude, it, it's an honor to have you on here. Um, I love the fact that that Luke started his Facebook page to help others because it reminds me of what really what triggered us to even create a podcast in the first place. Yeah. It's like it's our give back. And that's really what we've been saying from the beginning is, is this podcast is our way to reach out to the community and give something back. And uh, we're so glad that that episode hit and landed with a bunch of uh, a bunch of the uh, members of his page. Um, so if anybody's listening tonight and hasn't heard the first CISSP, CISSP episode, I highly recommend that you go back and listen to that. But tonight, it's all about Luke. So I say, Luke, thank you so much for your kind words on our on our first episode. But more importantly, thanks for being on with us tonight. This is going to be awesome, man. Holy cow, I am on the Cyber Distortion Podcast. I'm here, guys. I'm here. I finally made it here. It's been a year. I was like, ooh, I hope those guys asked me to come on the show one time. I really hope they do. And then Kevin asked me uh, a couple of months ago, and I was a little busy. I really wanted to say yes, dude. I really did. And then you asked me, I was like, I hope he hasn't forgotten about me. Because I watched that CSB episode frequently. That should actually be a, a study resource. The way you and Jason go back and forth, Okay, you don't you don't talk about you know uh, triple des. Maybe you don't talk about uh, uh, you know the octave framework. Who cares? You guys talk about it in such a real real way that everybody's going to be able to relate. Like I found myself saying, "Yeah, Kevin, I did I did do that. I did that as well." Jason Jason nailed a whole bunch of things I I, I did, 
and any little like intro video at the beginning and a little post-it um that like that jason had that sort of fried oh yeah 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 i mean yeah. you guys you guys did it you your 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 CISP episode has to be a study resource. Well, man, that's that's awesome coming from you. I appreciate that. And what we don't tell everybody is that Jason actually can't spell very well, and he actually <laughs> was trying to spell certified, and he just messed it up. That's so. it. That's it. In crayon too. But, yeah, I was I was doing but, it in crayon. Yeah. <laughs> but we're gonna pay it off, like like he he made you know did that on purpose. <laughs> okay, so look, well, man, is, go ahead. I just want to say that. Hey, uh, you guys said a lot of good, nice stuff about me, and I really take that to heart because, again, you guys say what you mean. And real, recognize real. And yes, I help people on the Facebook group, and you guys are doing great work on the podcast from episode one. It's You started it in May 2022, I believe. May 2022, yeah. and now it's October 2023. And the way everything has changed, like your hats have changed, your backgrounds <laughs> have changed, and you have that awesome little intro with the riff, like, doop, doop. I'm now as soon as I talk, that's gonna come in. And then yeah, and then and the and the icon and you're and you're and you're spending your own dime on this. You're not getting paid for this. You're going to DEFCON, you're you're going to Black Hat, you're you're doing your own videos there, you know, you pay for the tickets there, you go there. It's not cheap, it's not easy. And and you guys are just master CISP in my opinion, because you you mastered the CISP domains. You've mastered it. Uh you also have I don't know, you've gotten better looking yeah. from the last year to now like your skin is yeah. glowing your hairs are on point give me the Man. number to your botox guy if you do have it because i want that yeah too. yeah you know i'll you take know. credit for that i i rub off on kevin quite a bit so my <laughs> uh, my happy nature and fun glow just kind of eludes all over the place if you hang out with me long enough you'll get it too i i think i think part of it is you got to get enough ipa in your veins to to ah, really get gotcha. get the blood flowing well to all the Understood. organs, I think that that must be part of it. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, that's it. I'll switch off the lager of the pilsner. Then I switch to the IPA. <laughs> okay, so look. Well, we know Luke's a great guy, and when yeah, Kevin, we've had this conversation for for a, quite a while now. Uh, but look, yep. looks not just another pretty face wearing a motorcycle helmet. You know, in fact, Luke is a CISSP instructor. And a best-selling author. We'll get into all that in a little bit. We'll talk more about his book. And first, I'll be the first to say kudos. That book saved me on the exam. It, it was the oh. game changer in the way that I was thinking. And Kevin knows this because as soon as I got the book and I went through it, I uh, I called him up. I'm like, dude, you got to see this. You got to go through this book. You need to get it and do exactly what I just did because it changes the way you think about how you should approach it. So we're going to oh, get into thanks. that. Um, but I, I've been wanting to do this for a long time, and now we get a chance to jump into it. So let's just jump into it, Kevin. All right, let's do it. Well, first off, on the on the book, yeah, Jason's, Jason's on point, man. Uh, I went and bought the book after Jason told me about it, and I didn't even need the book. I was already a CISSP, but I thought, I got to see what this is all about. And... As soon as I read the book, I I didn't even get the, the second example. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Now now I know why everybody loves the book. It It is the secret sauce to passing the CISSP. We will get into the book in a minute. But let's first talk about the man behind the mask. So Luke, here, here's what I'd like to know. I mean, you've got, 
I'm excited that we get to interview you tonight, but I'm even more excited that your entire Facebook group gets to know you a little bit better on a personal level tonight. And we've kind of catered this interview a little bit more personally. And, and I think that's going to help them to understand the man behind, you know, so many, I mean, wh what's the number? I know you got a counter on your desk, over 3000 CISSPs, I believe that it's about that, uh 3,343. Wow. Yeah. Keeping so, so, I mean, kudos, man. That's amazing. That's an impact. Thank so, you guys. Yep, that's a definite Thank impact. That, that's huge. That's huge. I mean, think about all the people you're bringing into the cybersecurity industry to help us stop hackers, man. That is so cool. Yeah, there's the counter right yeah. there. I love it. Yes, sir. It. Yes, sir. So, so Luke, I'm going to quit rambling. Dude, introduce yourself. Tell everybody a little bit more about you and what started your journey into becoming a CISSP instructor. Well, thank you for that. Uh, wow, incredible introduction from Jason and Kevin uh, to masterclass CISSPs and uh, it, it's unlike it's not unlike anyone else IT simple IT guy I you know I was thinking about I was, I was thinking I would get asked this question and a very funny like situation I got hired as a systems administrator my first IT job first IT jobs ju junior systems administrator not even just sysad and my boss the director was like hey I, I don't know if it was a joke or if he was being serious but this is what winded up happening he's like hey uh, for your first task I need you to go upstairs to uh the analyst, you know, some, some, not a IT analyst, some analyst uh, computer and replace the mouse that's there. I was like, oh, okay. So I grabbed a <laughs> spare part Dell yeah. mouse up there. I grabbed a de spare Dell mouse, you know, wired Dell mouse, optical mouse. I went up there. I was like, Hey, um, yeah, here's your mouse. She's like, Oh, so glad you're here, Luke. Please take care of it. It's disgusting. I'm like, Oh yeah, I get it. It can get messy. It can get dirty under there. She pointed to underneath her desk. It was a real mouse underneath a mouse trap, a sticky what? mouse trap. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I'm not doing that. And she's a, and I asked the director, I'm like, hey, should we call like, you know, rack control or something? He's like, it's near. These people think we handle everything. So if it's near the computer, that's our job. So I'm like picking it up with my little finger and uh, put it, uh, you know, in a bag and throwing it away. And she needed her mouse replaced at the same time, like the actual actual mouse too, like the actual. Uh, <laughs> so I'm like, is this my IT? Is this IT? I don't know about this one. I should have just listened to my mom and become a dentist or something. That, wow. that is hilarious, wow. man. That's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, can you believe that? Yeah, yeah. And that was the first time. Uh, so simple, uh, junior, sisters, master, take computers apart, put RAM in, put change the CPUs, build the computers, um, uh, delete what's in their recycle bin uh, every month because they, they didn't know how to do that. Oh, my and, gosh. Uh, yeah, it was very ground up. Um, the company has been around like 60 years. They're a research company of some kind. Nobody knew anything about computers. and uh, But I knew I knew IT was good. Okay, the mouse incident left a little bit of a bad note. I'm like, I'm not <laughs> dealing with mice my entire IT career. Okay? I'm not sure Bill Gates does this. I'm not doing it either. Uh, but, but the boss seems to, seem to like me because I used to go to his house, fix his wireless, do like personal computer work for him. And all of a sudden I find myself, he invited me to a tennis tournament. And I was in the private box with all these uh, other uh, other DC level political CEO guys, and then and Andre Agassi walks in. And I'm like sitting in a room with Andre Agassi. I'm like, what IT? And everyone's asking, who are you? I was like, you know, I'm the VP of this. I'm this. I'm like, I'm the IT yeah. guy. I don't, I'm, this is just <laughs> IT guy. I'm the so guy I, who I fixes can't... the mouse. <laughs> yeah, I'm the, I'm the guy who fixes and takes care of the dead mice. So I saw Andre Agassi. I didn't really talk to him, but I was like, wow, IT brought me here. This is great. So that changed my perspective a little bit. Uh, I stuck with that company for six years because um, six years is too long as a junior systems admin anywhere. You don't want to stay in a rut there. They're also using Novell and yeah, 
Microsoft 2000 and XP all those days. You know, the XP intro, I have that like memorized by heart. I get nostalgia when I hear the XP intro. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know you're, I mean? you're starting to speak our language. Now we know you're right <laughs> yes. around the same age as us. <laughs> okay. Got it. Um, yeah, right, right. Um, and then I left that job to go to a startup and I realized with the startup, the startup had, you know, ping pong tables, arcades, video games, had all that free lunches. But being the, and I was a systems administrator there. I was like, okay, cool. Systems administrator. I'm going to work my way. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to work my way up to the network security guys. Because to me, those guys were it. If you were a network security engineer, you were at the higher echelon of, of security. Like Those guys knew everything. You knew nothing about them, but they knew everything about your work habits. Uh, so I, I, I realized that wasn't going to happen because, again, not, not doing IT work. I was standing outside, shipping off 100-pound servers and shipping pallets, loading them onto trucks. And once again, I was like, wait a second. I'm back to putting dead mice away again. <laughs> so I did something, someone with a South Asian background, uh, my parents are South Asian, will never do. I quit my job with no job in sight. Oh and man! I said I'm I'm not stopping until I get a security job. That's it. It could have the word junior in it. That's fine. Uh, so I, I I studied the network plus book. I studied the security plus book and just back and forth applied to every security job I can. And luckily somebody called me and said, "Do you want to apply for a junior that word junior again security engineer position?" I'm like, "Do I need an engineering degree?" They're like, no. What are you talking about? That's ridiculous. It's just called a security engineer. Uh, they hit me up with an interview. It was for a managed security service company. Managed security services provider at a SOC. And if you don't know what that is, for anyone listening, they service the security of hundreds of customers, hundreds of networks. So to yep. work at one company where you get experience with hundreds of different networks, it is a security, cyber security professional's dream. Anyone yep. trying to get into cybersecurity right now, please try to apply at an MSSP. That will give you more experience in five years than you would get in 20 years. And from then on, I, I once I got hired, I never took it for granted. I was like, oh, I'm finally here. I passed the Network Plus, Security Plus, uh, then my CSSP. And when I wanted to become a CSP instructor, I started applying places. I was like, I'll apply here to be a CSP instructor. I'll apply here. And I went to the interview process. I had an interview at a predominant uh, predominant uh, CSP instructor uh, place. You'd, you'd know it if I said it. I did the interview for the video. And I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wow them. I'm going to show my personality. I'm going to be dynamic. I'm going to be fluid. I'm going to make this exciting. I'm going to make this cool. I'm going to make this like something they want to learn, students want to learn. That's exactly the opposite of what they're looking for. They're <laughs> like, we need, you to, we need you to calm down. We need you to be less energetic. We need you to follow the rubric or the syllabus and go exactly the way it says. We have these slides. Don't read anything off the slides, which is the opposite of my style. I, I don't even use slides. I use something completely different. Wow. So when once they said it, that wasn't it, I was like, oh, you know what? If this is what the people are looking for, I might as well start my own videos, which, you know, if you ever heard yourself on, on mic for the first time, you're like, who's that? Who's yeah, that guy? Yeah, yeah. It's that horrible. Yeah. So after pushing through that, I started creating my own videos and eventually started the Facebook group and, uh, and the outcome is what you see today. Yeah, well, it was a fascinating journey. That's so funny. That's that, so funny. It was a fascinating journey that took you to a really good place, you know, for in a, in yeah, a, in a place that uh, now, yeah. you know, everyone can receive the rewards of your journey. You know, so I mean, kudos to that journey and, and where it landed you. You did a really good job getting there. Um, you know, I think the ir irony of all of this is, and I think I, if people can relate to this, even if they don't I directly pick it up in the message, is that 
it's almost as if every career path in, especially in technology, that there are series of struggles and setbacks that eventually get you and refine you to the place that you want to be at where you're comfortable. When you, at the end of the day, say, wow, you know what, if I wouldn't have went through all of that, I don't know if I would be as good as I am right now. And at the moment you're going through those things, you don't realize it. And you're like, oh, this, this is horrible. I can't, I can't why, why does this always have to happen to me? The difference in all of that is having the tenacity like you did to continue to carry on and push on to be better because you know you can't because you know you are capable of achieving more and not settling for people to say, ah, you're just going to be this junior guy that goes and gets real mice from underneath the desk. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, know but you, you know that you can be more than that and you set yourself up for, for being more than that. And that really is at the heart of what it takes to pass this CISSP is this constant belief that you are capable of achieving more than what you currently have. And, setting yourself up to do that. So I just wanted to kind of make that correlation between your, your journey and the journey that we, we all have seen as we go down this path of the CISSP and, and other certifications. And, and that, that, those aspects of the journey where you, you, you want to, you, you don't know what you're doing there yet. You're doing everything. You're, you're shipping off servers. You're, you're killing mice. You're replacing mice. You're, you're replacing outlook PST files. You're, you're switching out RAM on a desk and just, just a variation of everything makes you exactly what made you and Kevin a jack of all trades, master of none. You specialize, you know, you know a little bit about everything, but not a lot of bit about one thing. Right? And, I, and everyone asks, which one is the better one? And in my opinion, it's you want to start out with knowing a little bit about everything. And once you've settled and, and, and gotten a good place and, and settled your life down, then you can focus and specialize on something that you really actually want to be. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Yeah, yeah. You you said a couple you said a couple things there, Luke, early on that uh, kind of resonate with Jason and I because we just talked about this in our last episode. Is <laughs> when you first started teaching and having to hear your own voice on the mic, you're like, "Who is this person?" Because if you're not used to that, it, it's hard to uh, to be okay with your own voice being recorded. I I hate mine still today. So I know exactly what you're talking about, but it's funny that you said that because the last guy we interviewed said that Jason has said that I've said that. And it's so funny because I think that's just some sort of internal struggle that everybody has that you just got to get over and be okay with it. It's like, if yeah, somebody can take away something from my dumb voice, then great. Then it's worth talking. <laughs> Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. yeah. I pushed, but, I'm pushing the limit so far now that I've come to the grips that I'm, I'm almost more facetious about it than anything else. You know, if you can't, if you can't own the problem, then might as well have fun with it. And so I'm starting to have a lot of fun with it. And one of the things I'm going to do in, the, in this AI project that I'm working on right now is I'm going to generate and train my own voice as a voiceover for my AI tool to use. And, and I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm hiding it. So this is kind of the, the, the Easter egg in the, in the project. I'm hiding the voice. I'm not giving it my name. I'm giving it an abstract name of a character in a movie that's one of my favorite movies. That So when you select that character, it's going to be my voice. <laughs> Perfect, yeah. man. Perfect. Right 
I like that. They can, let's say, I'll tell you one thing. AI can imitate your voice, but they'll never copy your mind, Jason. They'll never do 100%, that. 100%. That's your own special right. thing. Yep. Yep. The AI will not know the struggle you guys went through because of the CISP. They will not know that. It will not know the effort. Uh, and that's something that can never be taken. That's right. That's right. Well, okay. I've got, I've got a good one for you, Luke. So, you know, with all the certifications out there, and, and there's a ton, I'm curious to pick your brain as to why you feel the CISSP has become the most prestigious, most renowned cybersecurity certification today. And it's everyone who has passed the CISSP get it. We get it. And and there's kind of a mixed trade of people who who totally understand it and a mixed trade of people who would be like, ah, it's just another certification. So help us understand from your perspective, what differentiates it and, and why do people really seek this one more than anything else? I knew, uh, I knew this was a different exam when I was thinking about it during coitus. Okay, that's when I was like, yo, this exam is taking <laughs> over my life. You guys know what I'm saying. Like, wow. Even during, yeah. I was like, why? Yes. What? what? Yes. This is not good. No, I'm turning that off. I'll start at the top. Uh, I met Claire Rosso last year, and the CEO really impressed me. Really impressive. First of all, she had no idea who I am, and I like that. I like she had no idea who I am. She's too busy for knowing people like me or anybody else. I like that. Uh, she has, She knew direction. She knew how to talk to a person straight on, and she knew how to make them feel like the only person in the room, and she was very respectful. So I, I, I like that it starts at the top, and that's, that's why it trickles down to what it is today. It is a difficult exam, and anybody who hasn't been through it is just not going to understand. Anybody who's been through it, even if they pass the first time, and definitely if you pass the second, third, or fourth time, you're going to know what it takes. It takes over your life. And if it hasn't taken over your life, then you haven't been studying well. It has You have to immerse yourself inside. There's mm -hmm. no cheating on this exam either. Because when I was taking the mm -hmm. Network Plus, Security Plus, and I was looking for study resources, people were handing me exam dumps. They're like, no, just take this and just pass the exam. I'm like, whoa, these are the actual questions on the exam. I tried not to look because I didn't want to believe that in a, in a false sense of security. Like, oh, I studied. And then when I get to the exam, it's like completely different. I just wasted my time. <laughs> yeah. So I tried not to do that. I did take a peek. Okay, I took a peek. I took a few peeks on the CCNA uh, lab exam because, yo, that was hard. And then when I went to the exam, I'm like, whoa, this is the exact questions I was looking at on the internet. This is not cool at all. Like if I yeah. I put in so much work in the CCNA labs, like routing and switching and learning the layer two MAC addresses and OSPF and, yep. and that that spanning tree protocol still haunts <laughs> me. Like I learned that so hard. I'm like, I'm putting in so much work to study this. I don't like the fact that there's answers out there and someone just can pass it without knowing. Yeah. So there's no cheating in the CISSP. They tried, and I like the fact they tried the remote work, the remote exam, yeah. and it didn't work out. And they said, look, we tried, people were cheating, and we're not going to do it. And that's it. Yeah. The other thing is, from what I see from my most most of my students is, CIS equals freedom. It, 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 if, if you, there's a reason that, you know, I'm, again, with the Asian background, they want me to be a doctor or an engineer or an architect. They do that because, you know, since my parents immigrated here, they don't want me to work. They don't want me, my kids and my other kids and my, and my grandchildren to work in a regular job for generations. They want, they want it to be, they want you to be a doctor. So everything can be turned around in one generation. Mm -hmm. Everything yeah. can be, you're making a high salary, you're turning around, you're now settled. You're not working for they didn't emigrate here for me to just do the same thing here. 
Uh, so if you now cybersecurity has become so popular and the salaries are such are skyrocketing so high that joining cybersecurity, taking the CIS, and you taking the CIS isn't going to make you rich, okay? Passing the CIS isn't going to make you rich. You got to know how to leverage that and use that to escalate yourself in a company. And once you do that, these salaries, these numbers started coming at me that I've never seen before. And and he asked, why, why is it so difficult? It's just because you can memorize, and Joe Barnes said this, shout out to Joe Barnes, amazing CISP instructor. He said, you, it's not like other tests. You can memorize every single CISP book there is known, every single book, and go to the testing center and still fail the exam. Yeah. It's that yep. kind of an exam. Yep. Yep. And that's what makes it such a huge, huge mental um, uh, achievement. When you walk out of that testing center and you know, oh, you get the, you know how, you know the walk. You, you, you log off, you say, oh, God, do, yeah. I wanna, do, I, do I want to review any of these questions that I marked? for review. No, screw it, man. I'm good with my first answer. I'm submitting it. And then you take that walk over to the proctor, holding your head down, not sure if you're ready for the answer yet. And she pulls the thing off the printer and it says, congratulations. Everybody's looking for that word, congratulations. And man. immediately your stress level goes from here to here, man. It's just on the floor after that. You're like, oh my God, all those weeks, months of preparing for this were worth it now. They were all worth it now because now I can look back on this for the rest of my life and say, I did it. I'm done with it. <laughs> I'm going to keep my CPEs up for God's sake because I'm never going to take that test again. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's huge, man. It's such a huge thing. And I think it, you don't realize. I'm sorry. Yeah, Jason, I was just going to say, I think it's interesting too, because as you were talking about that and the life cycle of getting to that achievement from the moment you start this endeavor to the moment that you walk out and it says, congratulations, you passed, right? or you provisionally passed. That that people who have not gone through it yet and who's, who are just introducing themselves to it can only measure that against other tests that they have taken or other certifications they've taken. Mm -hmm. And it's nothing like those things. No, because, there's, there's no comparison. Yeah, because it it's... Yeah. I don't know if it's designed this way. This is just my experience of it was that you can fight it all day long to study this thing like you would study any traditional test or certification. You can do that all day long and you will still fail because you have to be you have to be strong enough to take a step back and say, I know that I know this content, but I don't know how to take this test. I don't know how to think the way they're asking me to think to answer these questions because let's be honest almost not 90 percent of these questions have at least two right answers sometimes three right answers and mm -hmm. sometimes four right answers out of a multiple multiple choice section of four and totally. you have to figure out which one of those is the best right answer and that's where it gets really tricky so it is a mind shift that has to happen. And if you don't take a step back and, and humble yourself in making that mind shift, you could be stuck, you know, squandering around in the same study practices over and over and over again and not getting you where you need to be at. That's where that becoming a your life comes in at. Because once it becomes part of your life, you you're gonna you're gonna change the way you think. You're going to shift your thinking because you don't want to do this forever. You you want to get to that end point and you want to move on. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, it's, if you don't get that mindset and as, as you said, Jason, you're going to keep taking the exam. You're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. And then, and, and then you're never going to understand it. And I think that was part of the reason I wrote the book. I was frustrated with other people's frustration. I was like, it's, it's, it's not fair to, to keep taking the exam that back used to cost like $600. It's a lot more expensive yeah. now yeah. over and yeah. over again without truly understanding the actual exam. And the other thing I was really impressed with, when you enter that testing center, yo, it is serious, man. There's no smiles. Oh, yeah. There's no laughing. You walk through that door, the proctor is not smiling. Yeah. You, I, I remember going up there and uh, she took my name, uh, my ID. I even brought my passport <laughs> just in case. And I put my hand on the biometric thing. And I was so desperate to pass. I put my hand up and I tried to show her that, you know, I, I did my studying. I was like, oh, uh, my biometrics. So uh, I'm glad you're not taking my retina scan because that's more yeah, intrusive. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. uh, later, uh, uh, and, and then I was like, oh, and oh, look at, and, and oh, this is my handprint. You're taking my handprint here. Uh, this is something I have. This is something I am. I'm sorry. Something I am. And I was like, uh, 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 how are you? In, how are you? How are you securing this data in motion back to your uh, the other company, the ISC Squares is going? And she just kind of stared at me, and she's like, "It's all secure, sir. Don't worry about it." I was like, "Okay." And and what is your what is your data retention policy on my on my handprints and thumbprints? And she's like, "I'm not sure of that. You might have to email them." So I was hoping, please, if I impress this girl, the proctor, maybe she will see that my failed exam, and she will turn and be like, "You know what? I'm actually going to pass this guy." So I was hoping she would pass me after I failed, and I'd be like, "Oh, please, trying to impress you, trying to get in a good graces." Yeah, yeah. that's so yeah, awesome. Yeah, I tell you, man, no, when I walked I'll... in there, when I walked to the testing center, and they did they went through old nine yards, getting your ID and all this stuff, and they scan your palm and they do all this, right? And I'm like. Hey man, that was pretty impressive. I, I really appreciated all of that. Yeah. Right? And then before I could go in the testing center, they patted me down and start looking. I had glasses on. They would look under my glasses. They were like, I'm like, do you seriously think I've like etched little tiny answers into the sure, back sure, of sure. my glasses? I mean Yeah, you got the OSI model <laughs> in your in your glasses. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it was it was something. <laughs> As- as much as you hated paying that seven hundred bucks to take that test, you still didn't think it was worth seven hundred dollars to try to cheat on it. No, right? <laughs> yeah, she, she, yeah. She's trying to catch you, like pulling one over her. <laughs> so, look, yeah, it was Look, wait, before it was impressive. Before we go further, I, as we were talking about the testing center, I got to share this story with you. So, I ended up taking the test twice, and the first time I took the test, the unforeseeable happened. So I had been studying, I preparing, I'd been stewing over this thing. Kevin kept saying, dude, just relax, man. You already know it. Just relax and go in and take it. Man, two hours before I took the test, I was studying again. I was hitting everything hard. I get to the test center. I'm in my, my truck. I'm going over my notes before I walk in. I'm like, I know this, man. I got it. I get out. I walk in the testing center, go through all that stuff. Proctor walks me into it, sits me down at the the uh, my little cubicle to do my work. I sit down, comfortable, doing all of this. I start the test. I look at the screen. I'm like, crap. I left my glasses in the truck. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to struggle to take this test, and I'm just getting started. And so for the first hour i guess maybe i don't know i was halfway through the test and i was still worked up over the fact that i didn't have my glasses man and then after that i finally sucked it up and i'm like okay well, it's not gonna get any better than this and then i could feel myself change and my effort changing and i really went to town in it and i still did i didn't pass it so 
I'm like, man, I am never going to make that mistake again. After I picked myself off the ground and I got my truck and called Kevin was complaining about it and gave myself a break to settle down. So I gave myself about a month to settle down and came back at it again. I walked into it the second time, no problem at all. But I remember my glasses this time. And the CSP exam is not something where you're like, oh, my glasses are in my truck. Let me just go get them real quick. It's a whole thing leaving that place. Oh, yeah. 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 No way you leaving out that door and coming back, allowed back right. in. Yeah. 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 I had to suck it up. It wasn't, they weren't going to let me go out there and get it. Yeah. Well, they're looking for your etched glasses, trying to figure out what scam you're trying to yeah. pull. They're sure as hell not going to let you run back out to the trap. They're going to be like, this guy's <laughs> up to something, man. Right. I don't know. I'm going to get, I'm going to hit nine more money and get somebody up here with some authority. Yeah. We're going to beat this guy up in the parking lot. <laughs> yeah, well, hey guys, I'm looking at the clock here. I'm like, we're on question three and we're over 30 minutes in. This is going to be a good one. So let's get into yeah. it, man. <laughs> so Luke, I, I got a two-part question for you, sir. Sure. Um, we, we've all been in this space long enough to see a lot of changes and the security landscape has changed quite a bit drastically, in fact, over the last few years. And the first part of my question is, you know, what's the most significant changes you've observed as you've been in the, in the field? And then to add to that, in your opinion, what are the biggest cybersecurity threats that individuals and organizations are facing today? Sure. Um, I'm going to go a little different because I'm going to talk about what we see on the ground, what I see as a network security engineer every single day for the last the last five, six, seven years, and that is cloud integration. Things are moving to the cloud very fast, and yeah. it's, it's in a, in a very good way. So we're we're moving progressively toward a hybrid model. Half the company is going to be on premise, half the company is going to be in the cloud in some way, shape, or form. Maybe they're, and it, it, it all hits. And I'm learning more about this as I migrate a lot of on-premise customers. Again, working at a security operations center, managed security service provider, they all want to not go to the cloud. So all of a sudden, I have all this experience of moving on-premise to the cloud every single day, hundreds of different kind of networks, different kind of environments, topologies, all of that. So moving to the cloud is a specialty on its own. So companies may not be able to hire CCSPs or cloud security professionals. They try to get their own guys to do the do the work for them, which is what otherwise they hire a SOC. So... The cloud is going to hit all eight domains of, of the CISP domains as well. Companies may want to take their security and risk management. They want, might want to take their compliance and regulation to the cloud where they already have things like ISO 27001 certified. They have PCI DSS certified. Whole environment is just certified. AWS is a billion dollar company and they have better security than any company out there. So going to the yeah. cloud is an advantage. The only disadvantage is you don't know where your data is. That's that's something you have to handle. That's why you hire professionals to take care of that. Consider that. But as far as, as far as financials and ease of operation and just not worrying about it on your own, migrating to the cloud is huge right now. So if you if you become a CISSP and you want to go with your AWS architect certification, I could say go for the CCSP or something like that. But you kind of you already have a high level CISSP uh, certification. You don't want another high level one. Go for a more hands on click on the keyboard kind of thing, show me you know what you're doing. So your high-level certification complements your technical know-how. Yeah. Um, so cloud integration is one of the big changes that I've seen going from um, from a data center environment to the cloud, AWS, Azure, uh, or, or, or Google as well. Yeah, those are good points. The other one... Those are good points there, especially the point you made about CCSP because, you know, after achieving a CISSP that... 
in order for people to differentiate themselves, they're looking for what those differentiating points could be. And and as you said, cloud is a hot space. So finding ways to differentiate yeah. you in the cloud is is important, which is what I believe the summary of what you were saying on that one. And not necessarily adding the CCSP to an existing CISSP is the right path because you've already achieved the highest possible certification with the CISSP. Um, and, and those all eight domains are, are captured under, as you said, under the, the under cloud, you know, provisioning and usage. So look for those things that can differentiate you within the workload areas of the cloud. And there are many, many, many of those things, especially network security architecture in cloud infrastructures. And to your point, hybrid models across on-prem and cloud infrastructures. Those are great places to be an expert at. And and it's it's an ocean of experience. Um, what you read about, what you hear about is just scratching the surface. There's so much depth to it that if you don't, work with it directly, you're never going to know about it. So asking someone or you know, even asking me um, or asking anyone else on on just anybody you don't know, if you ask them, if they don't know, they're going to say your surface information that everybody already knows. You got to go to the cloud for your software as a service, platform as a service. It gets way deeper than that. People do. There was, and, and the next change I was going to talk about is firewall micro segmentation. So the old, old topology was one firewall. Okay, you made it past that. You have access to the network. Now companies are leveraging the cloud to only allow, you have a firewall, then you have three different sub-networks, small networks, maybe with just one server, maybe with just two yeah. servers, and they each have their own firewall. They all have three different firewalls. So you're hitting four different firewalls before you've been reaching that server. Someone's got to manage all that. Someone's got to handle the routing for that. There was one, there was one uh, troubleshooting call I did. There was, we had three firewalls. So traffic had to leave for one AWS environment, make it past the first firewall, hit the perimeter edge firewall, hit the MPLS router, so it's a packet switch. He changes from packets to packet switching, hit a satellite somewhere in space, <laughs> fire down to another on-premise data center, make it through their three firewalls, and then finally make it to the other server. So it left the cloud, hit a satellite in space, and then came down to the data center. So again, a hybrid model with multiple firewalls in between, and it takes people to understand that. That's where that's where the highest demand is. I did a practice question on YouTube one time. I do those like three minute practice questions. And at the beginning, I said, you know, some some company asked me to come down and just talk, just talk about how to go from on premise to the cloud. Just talk about. It. I don't have to touch anything. I go in and just talk with my colleague for six hours. They paid a five figure salary for that one right off the right, for five six hours, um, wow. not including lunch. They paid five figures that we split down the middle. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, if this is the future, man, cloud is cloud is the way to go, and it is going to be the way to go. The the, uh, that's, the other change, that's incredible. Yeah, it was I, it was mind blowing. I'm like, are they really giving up this guy? I just said that number just to be ridiculous, and they matched that. Wow. the The other change was, and actually goes in. Uh, the other change was that I've seen lately. This used to be like a very high level government thing, but now it's air gap networks. Uh, networks completely isolated from everything else and these uh, these are usually backups and they keep backups and air gap networks because of that ransom if that ransomware yeah. happens that's okay so they compromise your main primary servers they compromise your main data data um but they can't get to that air gap network because there's no network connectivity so it will take someone 
from what I've seen, it can take someone with a physical USB drive to connect to the network and bring that data over to the primary network. You don't have to pay the ransom because you already have your data backed up. They didn't lose that. Um, and speaking of USB drives, like they'll just plug in this USB drive and bring it over to the network. This USB drive, guys, is everything that's studying us in theory, my course, my practice questions, every the book, drafts, everything is in this in this USB right. This is all of my life's work as a CSV instructor. Air gap, not connected to any network. I keep it in this simple little thing. So in case I need it, I can just pull it from here. That's really cool. That's really cool. So 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 what about what about the the threats? What what do you see as the biggest threat that people that are graduating or uh, with bachelors of science degrees in technology and maybe they're eventually going to get to the CISSP, but they're starting their 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 career now in IT. What are they going to be fighting five years from now? I think uh, everyone, you know, I think the generic answer is ransomware and data breaches. Uh, you have to think a little bit high level. Like, why is why is ransomware so important? Not the immediate, like, oh, it's going to be ransomware. I better try to stop them. But why is that? I believe the, the most important thing going forward is going to be our very own infrastructure, our government offices, our, our colonial pipelines like you guys discussed about in that one, in that yeah. one episode, our, our, our electrical grids, our, just the national infrastructure, uh, industrial control systems, and, and, and the American business. Because just like what happened with the MGM uh, uh, hack of, uh, a few weeks ago, they were already inside that network, just stationed there, just waiting. And then when they decide, when they were discovered, that's when they decided to do the ransom. That's when they decided to show themselves. Other than that, they were hibernating there the entire time. So I think focusing, if you're, if you're graduating as a student, and if you can, if you really think, because this is serious work, this isn't just walking to a company from nine to five, clock in, do your security analysis of a few TCP dumps and Wireshark and clock out. When you're protecting infrastructure of the nat- at the national level, that's serious work. So I think that the biggest threats are going to come to at the national level. Through you know, we hear about companies getting their um, co- proprietary information stolen, uh, APT attack. This is all just a bigger kind of draw to controlling the country before anything before launching something else. Uh, when when Ukraine happened, Ukraine has become a a PhD level study in 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 infrastructure attacks and cybersecurity attacks. And, and the other threat uh, to take it even higher is space dominance. Back to the satellites in question. If you control the satellites, you control what's above the sky in space, then you control all the communications coming to and from there. All our signals bounce off the satellites. If you control that space, then you control a lot of, lot, you have a bigger advantage than you would down on the ground. So Elon's got a huge advantage, is what you're saying. <laughs> With the Starlink, it's not as, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he, he, uh, Starlink is is doing good work. I I enjoy the fact that he sends it out to rural rural areas where people don't have satellite, don't have yeah. internet access. Um, at the same time, with each node, with each satellite, it creates another risk as well. Yeah, you know, every piece of technology adds its own level of risk, and at the end of the day, the you know the the more and more I do this, I I kind of. You know, my mind's always thinking about the the derivative of of where all the roads lead, and the common or the common denominator. And the common denominator in this case is the fact that everything is centered around data, and the technology you create needs to be um, needs to be aware of the sensitivity of the data that it interacts with, and if it is not. 
then you already have a problem because that's what everybody wants. That's what the, that's what the hackers want. That's why that's what ransomware is designed to do is to come in and steal your data, the ransom it to hold leverage, to do something with you. That's what is your most valuable prize within your network <laughs> is your data, because that's what's transacting across the wires to communicate with everyone. And it seems to me like we get so hyper-focused on the technology and the uniqueness of our implementations of our architecture that we forget to focus on what is the most valuable thing, which is the data. And we forget to- Yeah, put, back in that data. Yeah, and put the right provisions in place to protect the data at all costs, no matter what. Everything else is just strategy. It's strategies like error gapping your backups, segment, segmenting your networks, creating multiple layers of firewalls, right? All of that stuff are strategies to protect the data as it flows through. So even when we look future thinking down the road, any technology that is manipulating, utilizing, transmitting data, storing data, those are the technologies that are going to be attacked. And those are the technologies we have to be very aware, cognizant of, making sure we have the right provisions in place to protect the data. Yeah. Yeah. So let's switch gears a yeah. little bit. Um, so when we look at the certification process for the CISSP, you know, we went, Kevin and I went through this pain. We struggled so much with some of this heartache and, um, and the day and night of thinking about how do we focus our attention around answering these questions correctly? You know, when I think about it, this question kind of comes up over and over again because this wasn't an easy exam at all. You know, so look, when you run across people that really struggle with it and they, they struggle with, you know, feeling like if, you know, concerned if they're going to pass it, but even maybe having to take it more than once. What are the key challenges that, you know, candidates typically face and what advice you tend to give them when they hit and hit those challenges? It used to be, uh, they would say, I am not a programmer, so I did really bad in the software development domain. I am not a technical guy. I don't know anything about routing, so I'm pretty sure that's why I failed. Knowledge, lack of knowledge, that can be overcome. So they want to they want to give up because they don't know a single a, a single element of an overall overall study. They want they want to give up, and I just I just I kind of say good because yeah, you should want to give up because that's part of being a cybersecurity professional. There's going to be a lot of times in your career where you're going to want to give up and you're going to be frustrated. So this is just trading you. So when you face that mindset at your real job, you're going to be like, hey, I failed the CSP exam and I wanted to give up. But I got back and I passed it. Now, if I can do that with the exam, I can do that in my real life. And that's the mentality that I try to enforce. Don't worry about not knowing a certain topic because, again, knowledge can be overcome. You can you can learn that. So I asked them to find their why. This is like year six of being a CSP instructor. Year one is like, oh, you're not a network guy? Let's sit down. Let's talk about the OSI model. Okay, this is a switch. This is layer two. You can teach that to someone all day and they still won't get it. But <laughs> if you teach, if you ask them, I just ask them, why are you taking the CSP exam? This is after the first failure, by the way, not before. I don't ask these questions uh, if they pass, if they are just taking it for the first attempt. And I say, why? They're like, oh, um, my job is forcing me. Uh, I have to take it. Um, I, I feel like it'll elevate my career. I'm like, okay, okay. Hey, I asked you a question. Why are you taking this exam? 
It's like, look, I just told you I'm, I'm trying to, they think they have to give me a different answer, like similar different answers. Oh, my manager is really forcing me to do this. Or, you know, I really want to pass this so I can get a higher job, more money and, you know, and get a gold standard and just move, elevate my position. I'm like, okay, okay. Hey, why are you taking the CSP <laughs> exam? Like, and then it gets real. Then it's like, I'm the only woman at my company and no one takes me seriously or anything that I have to say. So I'm taking this so I can prove them all wrong. I'm like, okay, now we're talking. Now we know your why. Or they're like, my mom had an operation. She can't pay for it. She's sick. I need a job where I can work from home. And the only leverage I can is using the CSP to leverage so I can work from home. Or someone just says, I just... I just want to do something good. I want to take my CSB. I want to join NSA. I want to join some intelligence agency or I want to take on or defend a network. So once they find out this why, that's when they start, the gears start turning. They're like, you know what? OSI model's not so bad. Let me study that one more time. Let me figure that out real quick. Let me review that chapter. Maybe I didn't review it as well. So they get motivated. And once they find out their why, then then they're unstoppable. That's, that's when they're done. So I try to really take it at a high level and really get deep down why they're taking the real reason that they'll be that's a great uh path i I like that i like how you laid that out and it reminds me of my why and yeah kevin knows this story because he was there when it was going down but prior to taking the cissp uh, i had been involved in cybersecurity quite a bit i was cto of an organization and uh in technology i feel like i have to know a very broad amount of technology to do any role in technology, especially at an executive level, uh, to make the right decisions. And so I try to be very, I try to be knowledgeable in in a lot of areas in technology. And so obviously running an organization, the technology arm of an organization, you need to know what security you should put in place and the practices that you should be applying. So I've been a part of that for, for several years prior to going after my CISSP attending Black Hats and DEF CONs with Kevin and kind of going through it all. None of that fully prepared me for what was to come. And before COVID pandemic hit in 2020, right before it hit, uh, my organization was hit with a ransomware attack. And we went through that struggle, which was four days of hell, of real hell. And to the point where I probably had, over those four days, I had an hour of sleep. And I was starting to hallucinate. My decision-making was struggling. I was really, really struggling with, with all of that. Now, here's the good news of that. Because I had some background prior to this happening, we had already, a, we had a pretty good program in place. And that program saved us. We didn't pay a ransom. We actually... Uh, reverse engineered the original uh, virus, understood its MO within the first hour, we were able to do this. We were able to know, uh, do forensics against it internally, quarantine all of our environment and start our disaster recovery procedures. And so we've, we followed that part to a T. The challenge we had was some of our network segmentation wasn't as good as it should have been. And some of our backups got corrupted. And so we now had to go to a uh, a disaster recovery of a disaster recovery. Right? And so we were trying to go through our secondary, our third plan in this model 
and try to get things put back in place. We had one, luckily. We knew what we needed to do, but it was going to take us more time to run through that plan. We did run through that plan. We fully recovered. We didn't lose any customers. We had lost no revenue. We we made it through the knot hole and, and uh, we didn't pay a ransom. And the residual effect of that was I was enormously pissed, pissed beyond all compare. In fact, many of my employees struggled with the same thing I was struggling with. This feeling of, of feeling like someone walked into your house and tried to steal your stuff. You stopped it, but the fact that they still did this to you was an, an immense you know, pain and pressure that they put on you. And so for me, the way to combat that was to challenge myself to understand what I don't know, right? Ask myself the question, what do I not know that could have made me better and helped me make better decisions going forward? How do I get better at this so that if it does happen again, which there's always a possibility for this to happen to anyone, no matter how, how good you are at the things that you're doing, that I am better prepared than I was now to do it, to handle this. And for me, that was my way of getting back at the hackers and secondarily preparing myself for things to come in the future. And, and then on top of that, that's why I want to give back because I believe that I don't want people to fall in the same traps that I fell into, thinking that you're doing all the right things but there's always something more you could be doing. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a security professional right there. Thank <laughs> you, Jason, for both of you. Thank you for getting one hour sleep. Thank you for yeah. dealing with that for four days straight. Thank you for staying in the office and being with your colleagues. You also did the same thing. That's your core right there where all the users went home. They don't care about that. Yeah. They're like, oh, IT's got that. Thank you. For th this is the groundwork that's going to be set that when people in the future look back, like, yo, these guys were just winging it and they did it. They were winging the cybersecurity thing and they did it. They didn't have any training. They didn't have what we have now, whatever they have now, but they did it out of their pure will. When everything was on fire, the security professionals stood their ground to take care of everything and get the business back up and running. So yeah, thank you for that. That That is that is the security professional right there. And I've been in that situation many times. You know, you're frustrated, your, your eyes are red, yeah. you're snapping at everybody. Their CEOs asking you for updates every 30 minutes. What kind of update am I going to give them every 30 minutes? It's the same thing. We still haven't yeah. recovered. <laughs> and we're right. sleeping. And, here. and I'm sleeping on a freaking concrete floor. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. you know, like, yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. We're ordering out disgusting takeout, 2 a.m. takeout, whatever that is. You don't even know what that is. And yeah, I've been there. That 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 is the deal. Yeah, man. I think it's important That's for the people contract to know, because to your point that you're bringing up, I think it's important for people to know that there is the weight of the world literally resting on your shoulders at times. And, mm -hmm. and to put this in perspective, mm -hmm. when you look at Colonial Pipeline and the hack that happened and the residual impact of that hack on society and the economy, if they did not get that turned around and, and quite honestly didn't get it turned around timely enough, but we were on the brink of having some really big catastrophic issues and many, many people being affected by that. That is the same thing in every one of these situations, that, that your organization has people depending on you, not just the employees, 
not just the organization itself, but all of your customers and all of their customers are depending upon the services that you're providing. When you are down, there's a residual effect that goes beyond just the people in your organization. It goes all the way down throughout your customers, potentially. And so that weight of the world feeling is a heavy feeling. And that that's what will drive you to really go after it. And to your point, that is a true security professional. And when you're dealing with that yeah. and holding all of that stuff up, it, it can be two things, man. It can be very powerful when you win. And it can also be very, you know, a, much a beat down when you're not winning. So oh, yeah. keep that in and mind. It's more the, sometimes it's more the latter than the former. Yeah. It's not, it, things get real when your VP says, if you don't get this fixed, our client is hemorrhaging $60,000 a minute yeah. if you don't Ugh. get this fixed. So every minute you're like, whoa, that's five minutes. That's a ton of money has already been gone through. So when you get yeah. that kind of pressure, you got to be a guy in the company that cares about that. You can't be like, oh, this is just a job for me. You do that, you're done as security, man. You got to care about that. Yeah. yeah. And most people listening are going to know, but you know, they, they say an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. They say that for a reason. I mean, Jason hit on it to a T right there. They had a good backup plan in place. They had a good DR process. They'd even exercised the process prior to this ransomware hitting their company. But even then, still some things can go wrong. And you know what they say? There's two kinds of companies, those that have been breached and those that will be. You're going to get breached. Eventually it's going to happen. Be prepared. Get ahead of it. It's huge. It's more important to, to know how you're going to deal with it and I heard Jason say this on our first CISSP episode, is practice how you're going to play. And basically, all that really means is exercise your plan. Don't just document a bunch of stuff and 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 never practice it. You need to walk through that as if you're training to go to the World Series and you're a baseball player and you're, and you're just constantly making those pitches, making those pitches, getting that hanging curveball freaking hitting that strike zone it's all about practice and yeah. dr dr is a huge part of the exam so just know that if you haven't taken the exam yet you're going to see that when you get in there and uh um and it feels kind of two things just it feels kind of skeevy too like somebody came into your network that you don't know and they have oh yeah, stuff, yeah and you're just like oh that just feels like dirty and stuff it's like oh what, what else did they look at what are my yeah. secrets did they yeah. see did they look at my browser history or something <laughs> like that right right and uh and probnar said a really good thing one time uh probnar shout out to probnar great csv instructor dedicated he said if you're going to do the bcp at a disaster drill and you're going to go through it and go through the motions like like kevin says which you have to you have to practice it throw in a curveball in there don't just go through the same mm -hmm. thing every single time throw in a curveball like oh this happened this happened but you know the the the, this department went down as well. Now, what do you do? Like this user is complaining about this. Now, what do you do? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, in the effort of keeping things moving along, guys, I'm going to hit the next topic here. Let's just keep rolling. And, and this one strikes a chord with me. Uh, it kind of gets under my skin a little bit, if I'm being honest. And, and Luke, I wanted to pick your brain about it. And it's the whole CISSP being a mile wide and an inch deep. I first heard that when I was going through the cyber training. Shout out to Sean Harris. She does a fabulous job with the cyber yes. training. Oh, yes. Rest in peace, Sean Harris. My goodness. Awesome. Awesome Legend. stuff that she Big did. Big boss. Yeah. Big boss. She is, she was great. She dumbed it down to a point where anybody could understand it, but it was still very effective in the way that you received it. 
And I loved everything about how she taught. She was just so down to earth and, and it resonated with me. But when I heard that part about, well, you got to, you got to, and, and it wasn't just Sean Harris that said, I heard this many times, but the, the data that you have to know to pass the CISSP is a mile wide and an inch deep. And after failing the exam the first time, I kind of got a little pissed off at that because I'm like, wait a minute, no, this is not even close to right. Yeah, it's a mile wide. It's definitely a mile wide, but it's way more than an inch deep, way more. And and we talked about cryptography on our CISSP episode about how you could spend three, four weeks just on cryptography. And that's one piece of one domain. So yeah. Luke, I got to have your opinion on this. Where where do you land on the whole mile wide and an inch deep concept with um, the CISSP? Uh, personally, it's about 8.5 inches deep for me from as far as I would go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know I about you it. guys. I don't know about you guys. Um, nice. I think it's, I think it's relative. Um, I know there's a lot of uh, consternation about that. I would say it's relative. Again, with the years that I've gone through this, my answers for most questions are going to be at the at the peak of where I am now. I'm at the. I feel like I have gotten a very good mastery of the topic and what people feel like, and because all the stories I I hear, it's it's relative to the point in what you do. Um, so if you ask. You can ask me that question. Uh, to me, it's all surface now because I've, I've memorized that book. I've read that book like tons of times. If you asked a CCIE that question, he would say, yeah, the network security domain was an inch deep, but that but that security risk management and the software development domain, you know, they could have made that a little less uh, deep. They don't have to go that yeah. deep. Meanwhile, if you ask a programmer, he's going to be like, that software development domain was so easy. That was like junior level. But that asset security, that backup stuff, I have no idea about. There's not no reason to take it that deep with that. If you asked a, like a CISO, like a CCI is going to be like, oh, they didn't put enough BGP. They should have put more BGP stuff in there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Or if you ask yeah. a CISO, they're like, I don't really think they emphasize the ISO 27001 yeah. enough. Uh, they went way too deep on that BGP stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm getting where you're going now, and I'm loving that. Now, now I get it. Now I get what you're saying. Yeah, all right, it so, all depends on where'd you come from, right? Right. So it's why is X so deep but not X? So you have to, it's all relative to what you know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a fair what answer. Was your, what, was your, what was your feeling on that, Kevin? Like, what was your what was your deal with that? I just didn't, I, you know, I, I got into it and, and I, you know, I, I keep referring back to the other episode where we talked about, it. I don't want to regurgitate a bunch of the same information, but I did speak to the fact that when I first got in and started studying for the CISSP because of my because of my background in IT and nothing else, I had experience in at least four of the domains. And I considered my myself pretty well to very well versed in four or five of the eight domains. But the other, there, there were a couple that I was like, eh, I, I don't get it. I, I, I'm, I, this is, it's like I'm having to learn a whole facet of IT that I've never known before just to pass this exam because they were getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And I'm like, keep looking. I'd skip ahead two or three chapters. I'm like, holy crap, I'm still in domain six. Ah, and it, I'm like, I'm not even going to get through this, not only tonight or tomorrow night, I'm not even going to get through this this week. And, I, and that's and that's my first pass before I can even get into questions, right? So yeah, that's kind of where my brain was at on a few of the domains. And that's why it, it kind of triggered me a little bit. I think one thing that was I found interesting with this, as we're talking about it is, I I covered... I pretty much had experience across all, all eight domains, but some domains deeper, much deeper than in other domains. 
the thing that stood out to me wasn't that. The thing that stood out to me for some reason was the content that that was from older history, like the original, the OG content, the stuff that like if you've been in IT for a long time, you you were a part of that and it's no longer there, but they put it in there for reference. That thing, that well, those were nuggets for me. It was like reading a good book. I start seeing that and I'm like, oh my gosh, I remember doing that back in the day. I, yeah, I know all about that, right? Those are the little nuggets of glory that I remember from way back when and I found fascinating. So those things helped me to correlate the path forward because I might have done the old school methods, but not the new school methods. And so as I was work, working my way through the old school methods, I was able to correlate the differences of what I didn't know to get to me to where I understood what was current today. Yeah. Like you, like you hear about, like in a book, you read about like Novell Netware 6.5. Yeah. You're like, oh, I remember that. Yes, <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, guys, look, we have been going for a long time. I think it would be great to take a break. Let's do a quick recap of what we covered and good. come back at it again. Additional information on the CISSP. Code of Ethics. CISSPs are required to adhere to a code of ethics that include principles such as protecting society, the common good, necessary public trust and confidence, and the infrastructure. CISSPs must also act honorably, honestly, justly, responsibly, and legally. Job Opportunities. CISSP certifications can open doors to various job opportunities, including but not limited to security consultant, security analyst, security manager, security auditor, and chief information security officer. Experience required. To become a CISSP, you need to have a minimum of five years of cumulative paid full-time work experience in two or more of the eight domains of the CISSP common body of knowledge. If you do not have the required experience, you can still take the exam and become an associate until you gain the experience. Security endorsement. After passing the CISSP exam, candidates need to be endorsed by another CISSP professional who can confirm their professional experience and qualifications. The endorsement is a critical step in the CISSP certification process and helps to ensure the integrity and credibility of CISSP professionals in the industry. Domains. The CISSP common body of knowledge is divided into eight domains, security and risk management, asset security, security architecture and engineering, communications and network security, identity and access management, security assessment and testing, security operations, and software development security. Personal recognition. The CISSP is widely recognized and respected in the information security industry, it is often a requirement for senior security positions, and is recognized by government agencies, military, and corporations around the world. Hey, welcome back, everyone. So uh, going back to our special guest, Mr. Luke Ahmed, and 
we want to go through now and talk a little bit more about, um, you know, how do you stay up with the times and what are some best approaches to do that? We know you're busy. We're all super busy, but man, you are super busy. And, you know, <laughs> constantly having to stay up with changing, uh, you know, uh, concepts in cybersecurity and where the industry has taken us. You know, when you think about even just ISC squared and new topics that the ISC squared is trying to tackle um, over the last three years, the test format changed, you know, and, and having to then restudy that format and think about how you prepare content for your students based on the new format. You know, that's a lot to deal with. So considering all of that, we thought, you know, we'd ask you, you know, what's your approach to staying updated with the latest developments and trends in cybersecurity? It reminds me of a joke Kevin said, like, I think past, present, and future walked into a bar and they met together. What did they, what did they say to each yeah. other? It was, it was tense. Like it was tense. That was yeah. tense. Yeah, that was tense. Yeah. Um, and that, that's how I approach it. I look at the, I need to look at the past. I need to look at the present and then I look at the future. For the past, I, I do what Jason said earlier. I read the CISP books. I even read the older editions, the sixth, seventh, and eighth editions of whatever they are. And just see where, where, where things have been, where, how it progressed on the seventh edition to the ninth edition. This way, I know that when people ask me, do I really need to get the eighth, ninth edition if I have the eighth edition? So this way, I know what the past has offered in order to prepare for the future. If it's one edition off, it's usually not a big deal. As far as the present, that's when I like to, I, I escape out of certification and just try to do my own job. For present, I go to technical forums. So I'll, I'll go to like Checkmates, which is like a checkpoint firewall forum. And I'll see all the issues people are asking about. Issues I've never ever heard of, never seen, can't even comprehend. People are talking about having two VPN endpoints with, with multiple devices in between. So they talk about their problems. They're on the forum asking, hey, I don't know how to do this. I work for a company which is just like me sometimes. Like, I don't know how to do this. I need to find people who do. So they ask the question like, this is my network topology. They take out the IP addresses. Um, this packet is dropping here. This packet is not working. How do you guys solve that? On all these experts, global experts, wow. nobody knows each other. And they give all these solutions. I'm like, whoa, I've never even thought of that. So that's how I stay uh, up to date with the present of what's going on right now, what people, what problems people are dealing with right now. And then for the future, I go to conferences and I just meet people. So if I go to B-Sides conference or even ISC Squared conference or just little meetups here and there around the city. I go there and just talk to people and just see, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big Genta. I can talk to anybody and make them feel as, in I find everybody has something interesting to say. So I'm a, I'm a blabbermouth when I go there. They can't, <laughs> tell me, they can't make me shut up because uh, I just want that knowledge. I want to know what they're doing that I'm not doing. Like, one thing about me is if, if I don't know something, I don't like not knowing. I got to know what other people know because if, if they know something, I don't know. I don't like that. I got to yeah. know. Uh, so I go to the conferences and recently I went to a B-Sides conference and this gentleman set up something. Uh, this is for the company KC7. Uh, you know, every, anything, anything I shout out now, no one's like paying me or doing anything. This is just for the, for the good of the industry. KC7 is a company that set up this website where if his, 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 his reason was people ask, if I get a certificate, can I get it? Can I, if I get a certification, can I get a job? The answer is no. You got to have hands-on technical training. So what KC7 does now, they set up all these data sets, tons of databases, data sets of, of hacks and, and intrusions into a company like authentication events, security events, password events. And they say, here is a program, Microsoft's um, 
I think it's called KQL or something yeah. like that. They say, right, something like that. I forget what yeah. it's called. So they use KQL and they said, if you can figure out how this intrusion happened from beginning to middle to end and answer all our questions in this really like nice format of a game, you will have the same experience as an actual security analyst. So when you go to a job, you'll be like, do you know anything about security analysis? And you can talk the language. You can say, yeah, I've used this specific language that I know now to query language, to query these data sets. I know how to pivot from different directions, figure out what they did, what they intruded on. And I can tell you exactly the whole story of an intrusion. Yep. No certification in the world is going to teach you that. You got to have that real world experience. So for the past, I, I go to the old edition of the books. For the present, I go to technical forums. And for the future, I go to conferences to meet other people. I see what's yeah, going on. Yeah, those are really that, good advice. That's really cool. That's so. So I assume you you do go to Black Hat, you do go to DefCon and those conferences as well. I is it, is it weird that I feel a little like hesitant to go to those? I'm so like privacy and security constant. I feel like if I enter that, someone's going to hack something about mine. But I will make it to that. I will make <laughs> that it to is... Vegas. I got I got married in Vegas. I was like, I've done everything in Vegas that you can get there. So I'll I'll make it to that one of these days. Now with two kids, I'm just like I don't want to go anywhere just spend time with them. But I, I will make no, it you, to that at some point. You know what, Luke? You're going to make it next year. You're going to go with us. You know, You're gonna go with us. that. I might have to do that. Let's let's put it right. Let's put it down right now in 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 verbal in a verbal yeah contract. verbal let's contract. Make, we're, we're gonna go. we're, we're gonna make it happen, man. It's gonna be so much fun. It's gonna be so much <laughs> so, fun. So that was good advice well, wanna... because one of the things KQL is a is a foundational querying language that many of those tools use. So if you can figure out how to use KQL very well, then it makes you a very good operational candidate to step into a role. That's, that was a, a good does. example. It does. Yeah, it, it sounds a lot like what Attack IQ is yeah. doing to train younger students, kind of teaching you the whole the whole uh, process chain of an attack and, and the kill chain and everything. And, exactly. Uh, you know, and with real world hands on experience and exactly and uh, blue teaming and red teaming, really cool stuff. All right, I want to change direction a little bit here and get a little theoretical on you. Um, you know, we all know this this CISSP exam. It's not one of those exams. It's for the faint of heart. It's not a beginner exam. In fact, I, I would say you need to have several years of experience before you even begin the endeavor of studying for it. Um, much of what enabled me to take this exam and and even pursue this as a challenge was not my ability to retain information. In fact, I'd go so far as to say is that was so of so little importance with the CISSP because there's another huge element that we have to talk about. It's the elephant in the room with the CISSP. And that's because you have a mindset that you have to master. And we are going to get to that a little bit later in the episode. But I feel one of the most critical elements of the exam is your experience and your ability to just troubleshoot in real world situations. And, you know, can you problem solve in the areas of coding or pen testing or networking? And you don't have to know all of them. Just know how to troubleshoot and problem solve. Any kind of help desk experience is going to help you out with the CISSP. So, Luke, I'd like your thoughts on how you balance or how do you recommend balancing theoretical knowledge, or as I call it, book smarts, with practical skill sets and hands-on uh, skill development when it comes to this particular exam? 
Sure. And I practice this and I recommend that to any of the students in my course as well and through my videos. Um, sometimes I even watch my own videos to get re-educated on something. I'm like, oh, I explained that pretty well. Uh, I take hey, I'm two pretty good at this. Yeah, I'm like, hey, <laughs> that, guy, that guy knows stuff. Uh, it's, it's two different approaches for me, two different environments. So say I'm at work, okay, and I'm troubleshooting a, a, a VPN connection. And uh, the reason the VPN tunnel is not coming up is there's, a, there's an encryption mismatch. One side is using triple des, the other side is using SHA-1, or, and, and it's not working. You're not going to find the solution to that in the books. I'm like, okay, no problem. But if, if it comes down to the VPN and your customer says, hey, why are you using triple des? Um, uh, that's the default setting. Uh, why don't you use, no, I'm sorry. The customer would be like, we want to use triple des. And I'd be like, um, we would recommend SHA-1. So in, I'm working in a real life job. I'm working with encryption, selected that for the VPN. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. The the book said that SHA-1 is recommended over triple des because of security, but don't use it if if you if they don't really need it. I uh, it's up to the it's up to the policy of the company. So it explained to the customer, I'm like, hey, triple des has is an older model of a sh- integrity. You want to use SHA-256, which is a newer model. Same with with AES-256, you, you want to use AES-256 for a more secure because the older method has been deprecated. So at my job, I'm like, oh, I did something in reality. And the books kind of confirm that, not really, but I see the point. And then when I read the books, I'm like, oh, the book says it this way. But in reality, I'm actually doing this. The book is just kind of saying a very generic kind of process, very generic operational process. I'm like, I can see how some companies can use this, but I'm not using it. So it's the synthesis of these two environments of what I study it that I try to incorporate into my videos and show like, this is what happens in reality. This is how you can incorporate the book. And when you study the book, this is how it really is in reality. So it's, it's those two things put together that makes for a powerful understanding of the concepts. So if sure. we take that one step further, how do you, how do you give the message of this is what the book is saying. This is a real life scenario of how it would be applied maybe not exactly to what the book suggested, but you could see elements of what the book is saying being applied this way. How do you answer the question of, well, there's four right answers. Which one is the most right in that scenario? Because the exam is testing you based on that. So if you're focused on the exam, you're going to want to give an exam-based answer. Mm. So that goes back to high-level business managerial Um but if you want to give, it's the books are going to teach you a very generic process that's going to apply to any organization. It's going to apply to any organization, but no organization is the same. So it's all about tweaking that process to your company's needs. This goes back to domain one, security and management of what your security policy says. You can use you can use like the agile model. You can use whatever process they say in the books, but your CISO or your CEO is going to be like, this does not work for a company. You have to tweak this down and adjust it to how we're doing. Mm-hmm. So you this you read the books, you get a foundational level of understanding. And then you when you get out in the real world, you're like, oh, I'm ready to put my CSP stuff into action. And they're like, yeah, yeah we're not doing any of that. They're like, we got to do yeah. this and this and this. Like, oh, okay, yeah. I see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get slapped back into reality real quick yeah, a lot of times. Right, right. right. Like yeah. when I passed my CSP, I felt so powerful. I walked into work. I was like, yeah, I'm a cis now. I walked in and uh, I was like, no, we're not doing it that way. We're not doing this. We're doing that. I'm a cis now. I understand everything. I got on a conference call about a, a major uh, OSPF routing issue and I was like, oh, I don't know anything. Whoops, whoops. <laughs> yeah, it just took you right back down to earth. Yeah. 
Yeah, I understand that, man. Get getting into reality in the corporate world sometimes will put you back in your place quickly. Yeah, most. Yeah, and I I actually found that question difficult to answer. To like, I was struggling to respond to that because I can't really, I couldn't really explain it. It's just something you have to experience and and get that done on your own. Something you have to feel. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So here's another one. I guess you know we we talked about this earlier. Your counter is there on your desk. 3,343 CISSPs that you've helped. That's impressive. You know, obtain this certification. And, you know, we, we see the posts all the time, you know, how Jimmy, Jimmy Jam cracked the CISSP or, you know, whatever, enter your name. Those are awesome. And, and we constantly see people coming back on your Facebook page expressing, their thanks and showing how they were able to do it and and this community that you've built around supporting people to solve and help people achieve this this task, this daunting task. Can you share with us one of your more memorable success stories from previous CISSP students who benefited from uh, from the instructions that you've given them? Biggest numbers right here is is it's it's a deep level humility for me. It's it makes me humble. It makes me glad to be frankly alive. And there's a lot of stories behind these numbers right here. I'll give you one that I'll never ever forget. Uh, so this gentleman from Sudan was going to get to take his CSB exam. There's no testing centers in Sudan, okay? Um, so he's going to go fly to Dubai to take his exam. Flying to Dubai for Sudan is like hundreds, if not a thousand dollars. Already you're you're already paying a lot right there. Taking the exam in Dubai is another more money. So he flew from Sudan to Dubai. He got there. He hit me up. He's like, I don't I I just got here, Luke. I don't know. I, I tried to pay for the exam, but the exchange rate killed me. I didn't know anything about the exchange rate. So he didn't have money to pay for the exam. I don't know why he couldn't book I don't think you could book it from Sudan in Dubai. You had to go there and do that. He stayed there for like a couple of months. And I was like, and he said, I, can you pay for the exam? And, you know, at this point, I don't know. Any, I don't know this person, but I, I just wow. felt something. I felt something. I was like, I don't know how to get you money in Dubai, but I knew somebody in Dubai who I knew, but I didn't know. Also a CSV guy, Ahmed Khatib. Shout out to him, one of my one of the first guys to start the Facebook group. And I hit up Ahmed and I was like, hey, man, uh, I got a guy who can't pay for the CSV exam. He studied for a month. A lot is riding on him for this. To fly from Sudan to Dubai to take the exam, it's a lot. I went down the street, okay, to take my exam. Yeah. This guy flew yeah. across yeah. the world. I was like, yeah. Um, so I sent him the money and I wired it to him. Uh, and the guy and the person at the Western Union was like, do you know who you're sending this money to? I was like, no. I was like, you know, there's a lot of scams. It's called cybersecurity. You better be aware of that. I'm like, yes, I'm aware of that. I am so, quite aware. Yes, correct. Um, so I, I I sent the money to Ahmed, and I was like, yo, Ahmed. And I told the guy from Sudan, I'm like, okay, I, I I sent the money to someone. He will meet you at the at the at the mall there, and you two will meet. And this is what he's wearing. It, it was like a covert operation yeah. that I was doing. I was like wow. one of those CIA guys, like in the office, like dictating everything, telling like the <laughs> intelligence guys what to do. I was like, okay, meet him there. I was texting. I was like, okay, he's wearing a blue shirt. He's wearing an orange shirt. Make the exchange here. Exchange a briefcase. There wasn't a briefcase. <laughs> Uh, so he got the money, he paid for the exam, and he passed, which I was a relief. It was such a relief for me. Like, please don't fail. Awesome. This is, so much went over that. There was another guy, his name, actually, I don't like giving names. Um, he's from, get this. If I, just imagine this, guys. He's from Pakistan, okay? He lives in China, 
He takes the six-hour 250 exam in Mandarin. Ooh. He took the exam in Mandarin, his third oh language. Oh, my gosh. So it was a written exam in Mandarin, and he passed on his third attempt. So he took wow. that like twice. I wow. looked his print out. It was nothing but Mandarin character. Wow. The oh other one was um, this gentleman hit me up uh, a year after he passed. He's like, Luke, thank you so much uh, for your website. It's the only thing I have to study from. And he showed me a picture of him from Nigeria in his village with just a very dimly lit monitor with nothing but a, a light bulb hanging with no cover, just like a raw light bulb hanging. And he's studying for my website. It says study no theory on there. And I see like one of my <laughs> like industrial control systems videos or something or business disaster. He's like, this is how I used to study. And yours was the only resource I really had. And once I passed, I was able to take my mother out the village in Nigeria to Lagos, get her apartment there and move because he got a job in security in, in the capital of Nigeria. Wow. So that stuck with me for quite a bit. The other story is uh, I was talking to this other gentleman, he hit me. I was like, I am so-and-so. I am the only IT guy in Baghdad in my company. They don't care about security. They have routers that are com- ancient, ancient routers. I'm telling them this is a potential security risk. No one trusts me. So I want to become a sys. I, I gave him access to the platform. And uh, he passed, and uh, he became the first CISSP in Iraq. He was, I'm I'm guessing he was the first CISSP in Iraq, because we didn't know anybody else. So he was the first CISSP in Iraq. That stuck with me a lot. He is now like a very big wig there, handling the cybersecurity of companies and banks and the national infrastructure. Wow. Um, the other one, cool. uh, and, and you know, it's a, it, it shocks me, it pains me, the resolve they have to learn and get this done. A, a exam in the America that we kind of take for granted, like, oh, I'll, maybe I'll get it, maybe I don't. This is life-changing for some. I'll give you two last ones because um, these these are stories are deep. I share them, but internally I'm, 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 I'm deeply affected by them. When I remember them, I feel a certain, again, a certain sadness and pain that I'm living comfortably in my basement in America and meanwhile, there's people with like real struggles going yeah. on. The other one was uh, David. He had, he had, I mean, this guy had stage four colon cancer. He, he recovered, he got treatment. I mean, he had that, and he still wanted to go for the exam because he wanted to prove something, and and he passed as well. I'm like, yo, if it gets to that point, I'm done. I'm not <laughs> doing anything else. But he he moved on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wow. And last one, most recent one, is a gentleman who was a 9/11 police officer, and there is an actual picture of him uh, walking a lady out of the towers, and him with the NYPD jacket on, and this like soot and dust everywhere. And he passed it last week after trying for like a couple of wow. years. That kind of stuff, these numbers, they they aren't just like a counter like, oh, look how many people I helped pass, sign up for my course, pay me money. This is not that kind of counter. This counter is a history of all the effort and hardship that people went through to get this number right. There. And that's what I think of every time I make my videos and questions like this number means absolutely, man. That's thirty three hundred stories right there. Yeah. Sir. Amazing, too. I mean, some of those stories are incredible and you don't realize. Yeah. It's like you said, you don't realize how much we take for granted the fact that yeah, you walked up the street and took your exam. I mean, I live in Dallas-Fort Worth area. It's a huge metropolitan area with testing centers everywhere. I mean, we don't think about that stuff, but yeah, it's it's crazy. And you know, Jason and I flashed a stat on our, our episode on the CISSP that showed how many of the CISSPs actually exist in the United States. And it's incredible the number uh, when you look at the overall number of CISSPs worldwide. You said 90,000, right? The total in America? I, I, I believe at the time like it was 90-something thousand, I want to yeah. say. Yeah, 
Yeah. Just 3,300 is like 2% of the world's CSS fees or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that dude, that's, that's still incredible. That's a huge number for, to think that you helped every one of those folks. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very humbling and I, I, I don't take it for granted. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, guys, we've covered a lot so far. I know we're barely scratching the surface on some of the stuff we want to cover. Here's a big one. I want to talk about the elephant in the room. Um, you know, we hear this all the time. Jason and I both heard about it. Uh, unfortunately, we both heard about this a little bit too late, right, Jason? Yeah. It was after we both failed the exam. Yeah. Uh, but it's that I ISC squared mindset. You hear it all the time. And Luke, I know you get it. Hell, you wrote the book on it. And we're going to get into the book here in a little bit. But before we do, let's touch on that mindset. Now, uh, Jason and I talked about the mindset. We 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 built that whole episode of CISP. We built up to the mindset. You got to understand the mindset. And then we finally hit the mindset hard in that episode. But I want to hear from you, from your intellectual CISSP. What did you call him, Jason? Super guru? Yeah, super guru. I want to hear from so your, your CISSP super guru mindset. Um, talk a little bit about this mysterious mindset we keep hearing about and... What's it all about? Um, sure. I um, what I what I'm about to explain may not actually be translatable to the exam, but to me it was it was when I started investing in the stock market back in like 2018, 2019, when I finally got my CSP, finally got some money, like actual savings in my pocket. Yeah, uh, and I was like, what do I do with all this money? I'm like, okay, I'll go to the investing, and I started day trading. You know, oh, I'll sell this, buy this. I'll make a thousand dollars a day. I make twenty thousand dollars a day, like all those guys. I lost like $25,000 within within months. And I was like, whoa, what happened? And I realized the key to investing is just never selling and just patiently waiting. And then we had an incident at a company one time. You know, that 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 line I said earlier where they said, this company is hemorrhaging tons of money. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Hemorrhaging yeah. Every, all yep. this money. I'm like, huh. If, and the investment in the stock market, especially the S&P 500, that is, that is the backbone of America. It's all the businesses in America. It's the small businesses of America. It's, it's your 401ks. It's your savings. It's, it's all of that. Like if that goes, everything goes. So when I, when I was thinking about the rest of the mindset, I'm like, what are we doing here? Like, why am I securing data? Because if I don't secure, like I started asking why, like, why am I, uh, why am I creating a VPN? I'm creating a VPN to secure data in motion. Why am I securing this data, encrypting this data? Um, because nobody can see it. And the company says there has to be this policy. Why is there that policy? Because if this data got mishandled, it would cost the company a lot of money. What would happen if the company lost a lot of money? Oh, the business might go down. What if this happened to hundreds and thousands of companies? Oh, the American backbone would go down. So that yeah. was kind of my like high level kind of very high level. Like nobody, nobody used to think about this. Nobody used to spend their time thinking about this. And then I understood like, oh, when something happens, who goes in front of who goes in front of the Senate and the congressman to explain things? It ain't me, Kevin or Jason. It's the CEOs. It's the it's the high level, high level CEOs. They're the ones explaining to Congress why this data breach happened, why the privacy and the user data was breached. So they hold the ultimate responsibility of risk, and risk is always changing. So they're always going to be busy trying to manage this risk. And when they dictate how to manage that risk, it's up to us in operations, the directors, the operations. So that's what we're doing. So my mindset was like, okay, so ultimately, we're securing the American business and businesses everywhere because of the reason, because that is an economical Thing. That's economical hit if they don't survive. So from that, I trickled down to, oh, I think they're teaching us the CSB stuff just to make sure it's not so access is granted or denied. It's not so 
software is developed properly, but the highest level is the company's got to survive at the end. Yep. That's the ultimate yeah. goal. So once I realized yeah. that, I was like, oh, that's the mindset. Yeah. Yep. The company and the people, right? I mean, yes, correct. Mostly about the company and the people. Yeah. Yep. That's, yeah, that's it. the higher order. So that, that was the mindset. Yeah. That, that's very high level. Nobody needs to know that for the exam, by the way. That's just <laughs> Luca. That's Luca Med thinking. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, it yeah, applies. That's a good way to think but about it. But it does apply, right? It applies in the decision making that you need to make for the exam. One of the most important things to think about was, is, Human life is comes before anything else, right? So the people and the organization over the infrastructure that you've put in place. If there's a fire in a building, you're going to get the people out first. You're not going to save the infrastructure because people yeah. come above everything else, right? So higher order values is to understand what is the higher order value in, in this world that you're working in, the organization you're working at, that there will always be a higher order value. In this case, you want to limit loss of human life. You want to not allow that to happen as much as possible. And then once you've taken care of that, then you can start taking care of everything else. And ultimately, you're trying to survive the business. You're trying to save yeah. the business so that it stays functional and intact because all of those employees that you just saved for your business, they still need jobs when you're all done with this. I, nailed it. Nailed it. So, all right, I got one more. So, you know, we've talked about test anxiety, and I shared with you guys how going into this, when I took the test the first time, I struggled. I was overworking it. Kevin was trying to calm me down. I was like, I don't, I don't care what you have to say, Kevin. I'm, <laughs> I need to study some more. I'm only going to win at this if I do it my way. And, he, and he's like, no, dude, just relax. You already know this stuff. I'm like, no, I got to study some more. And... After I went through all of that, the hard lesson was I built up so much anxiety that I left my glasses and I finished up filling the test. So, <laughs> so it happens, right? But I guess look, the question I have for you is, you know, when you have students that are experiencing anxiety over this, maybe their second or third time taking the test, or maybe even the first time approaching it, you know, what are some things that you do to help encourage them? to overcome that or to even consider retaking the test after they failed it. You know, this test is, this test is nuts. I mean, we've built an entire, th we're still talking about an uh, essentially just a test. Like what high school exam or college exam or <laughs> even SAT do you even talk about now? None. Yeah. You talk about your AP physics test and all? No. <laughs> no we're talking about a, an exam of questions and choices and our lives around it. So, when someone fails and I come back to them, I'm like, yeah, it's a tough exam, man. And one of my best lines I'd like to say that kind of eases people is some of the best CISPs I know have failed it and taken it more than once. Like the two I'm looking at right now. Okay. Some of the best CISPs I know. And the thing about failing is now you have an advantage that nobody else has. You know what the exam feels yeah. like. You know what it's going to be. You're better prepared. All right. You lost $700. You lost something even more than $700. Your time. But you know what? You didn't lose your dignity. You didn't lose your prestige because you're going to get that back because all you have to do is make small adjustments and make the comeback even stronger. And the math is still on your side. Okay, you didn't. You failed the first time. That's fine. Take it the second time. But you got to go hard. You got to be more consistent and have more discipline. You know what you did wrong. You got to spend a little bit more time on domain one. But just because the profici proficiency level says, you were low in, in security risk management or you're low in software development 
doesn't mean you really were. At least I don't think so. Uh, it just means you have to study other levels, other domains, just a little bit more than you did before. That's all it really means. Maybe look at some other resources. And you put in so many hours when you failed. Like you failed, okay. If you pass the first time, you never study CSV stuff again. You, you fail, you study it again. You read that thousand page book, you pick up one line that changes your whole perspective of the entire exam that you didn't catch the first time. So it forces you to put your hours in. Uh, and, you know, frankly, if I were running a security company, if someone said I passed the first time or I passed the fourth time, I think I would hire the guy who passed the fourth time because he put in that work and he's got more knowledge than the guy that passed the first yeah. time. Yeah. Well, and it, take, it takes a hell of a lot of perseverance to do that, to step back up to the plate and say, you know what, I'm going to do it again. And then if you fail it a second time, man, it, it's discouraging to go through that. But at the end of the day, when you do finally pass it, it's even more rewarding than the, for the person that passed it on the first try, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you're you're out $1,400, maybe $2,100 before pass it. God forbid, maybe more. Um, but you've learned so much, like you said, through the process. And, and you're only going to get uh, more fine-tuned into what it is you need to do to, fa to actually get over the hump every time you fail. I think it goes without Kevin. saying one of the most important things that I've witnessed in that process and I think we're kind of talking about that in a little way is surrounding yourself with um, an atmosphere of support because you're going to have struggles. No one's just don't assume you're just going to walk through this stuff. There are people that just walk in there, right? And they take the test and they post, yeah, I passed it the first time and less than my allotted time. And I only got, I passed it in the first 95 questions or whatever, right? Yeah, and, congrats. And yeah, people do that. But the point of it is, is that's not the average set of people going in to take this test. And most no. people are going to have struggles with it. You should plan to have struggles with it. And, and as such, surrounding yourself in an atmosphere that supports you through this is hugely important. I look back at failing, uh, practicing and testing and studying and all of this stuff and failing it the first time and then rehabbing, having to pick myself up to put effort into it to do it again. And the one thing that was constant was the people I had to support me, my wife and my family, just saying, yeah, if this is what you want to do, we're going to carve a wide path for you and we're not going to lay all of our responsibilities on you. We're going to give you the room to go and, and do what you need to do to feel successful at it. And I will tell you, this wasn't a one-month thing. This wasn't a two-month then. This was a many, 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 many month exercise. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, and the amount of work I put into it equally required them to give me that area, Oof. that space. You know? So so it does require you to have an a, an atmosphere of support. Yeah, Absolutely. Shout out to your family for your support. And I just I, I gotta let you know, I know at least two two people who are on their sixth or seventh try. They've spent five figures on the exam already. And they said they're they're more knowledgeable than before. They still haven't passed, but they're still at yeah. it. They're still yeah. at it. You believe that? Yeah, that's good, man. The thing about it, think think about it is that though, they're gonna pass that exam and they're gonna look back on it and, and say, you know what? The, the weird thing too is you're gonna go into it, they're gonna take the exam probably very similar to the way they took it the other three or four or five times. And just they're going to reach out and get that paper at the end, and it's going to say congratulations. The difference is going to be that they they 
they were persevering uh, the fact that they were failing. Failing yeah. didn't stop them. Yeah. It, because, yeah, yeah, you're continuing to push forward and you're continuing to push through and keep studying. But at the end of the day, how much additional knowledge are you really gathering? Who knows? Maybe not that much. It's more about you've kind of figured out the mindset now. You've kind of figured out the way to, to really look at the questions and things start to click. And yeah. once that happens, man, you start looking at everything differently. We said this before. Everything feels differently when you're reading those practice questions. Well, I actually got a confession to make. And Oh, I boy. Just, Here we go. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Why are you looking at me like that, man? I do have a confession to make. Oh, no. Just, you're I'll just saying this, this is because going. you don't know what I'm going to tell you. And, and you're, you're feeling all upset that you don't know all my oh. secrets. But I'm going to share this secret with you. <laughs> I, I bet I know the secret. Go I, ahead. I only failed. I, I, I failed on purpose because I didn't want you to feel bad because you failed it the first time. So I wanted, oh, I wanted to bat you because I knew if I passed it the first time, you would feel bad. What a gentleman. Man, you are, you're such a good friend, Jason. I, I, you yeah. know, I, I look, I'll look back on this podcast two, three, four, five years from now, and I'll be like, this is why this is still being going because this guy is just so good to me. He's looking <laughs> out for you. Yeah, man. We're like two peas in a pod right. here. Well, hey, guys, it, it looks like we're we're coming up against time to take another break here. I would like to do that. But when we come back, let's get into some fun stuff that I've got queued up for Luke here and uh, kind of change the tone here a little bit. We've been real serious for over an hour, over an hour yeah. and a half. Yeah, very let's, serious. Let's get into a, let's shift gears and get into some fun mode. What Sounds do you say? good. Let's, let's do go. it. Let's do it. Effective study techniques for the CISSP. Active recall. This technique involves actively retrieving information from memory. Instead of passively reviewing notes, try to recall key concepts, definitions, or details from memory. Use flashcards, self-quizzing, or explaining concepts to a friend to reinforce your understanding. Spaced repetition. Spaced repetition involves reviewing information at increasing intervals over time. Instead of cramming, Distribute your study sessions across days or weeks. This technique helps reinforce long-term memory by periodically revisiting the material, allowing for more effective retention. Mind mapping. Mind maps are visual representations of concepts and their connections. Create a central idea or topic in the center of a page and branch out with related subtopics. This method is particularly beneficial for visual learners and helps organize information in a hierarchical and interconnected way. Pomodoro Technique The Pomodoro Technique involves breaking study sessions into short, focused intervals, typically 25 minutes, followed by a short break, around 5 minutes. After completing four cycles, take a longer break. This technique can enhance concentration and productivity by providing regular breaks to prevent burnout. All right, we are back from a quick break here. And we, like we said, we're going to change, change the mood here a little bit. And we're going to jump into a quick game. And we call this game, Who Said It? Here's the premise. So I'm going to ask you guys some questions. I'm going to alternate between you, Luke, and then Jason. And you guys have to tell me, based on the quote, who said it? 
here are your options. It was either Bill Gates, we're, we're kind of sticking and staying with the tune of technology, and then I just threw a random one in there too. Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Albert Einstein, Carl or Sanders. Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> Colonel Sanders <laughs> is not one of the options. <laughs> All right, so here we go. Since you're so eager, Jason, I'll start with you. Who said your most unhappy customers are your greatest source of learning? What were my options again? Bill Gates, uh -huh. Elon Musk, uh -huh. Albert Einstein, uh -huh. Oprah Winfrey. Bill Gates said it. Is that your final answer? Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> Ding, 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 ding. You got it. Nice. All right. So one point goes to Jason. I don't like your attitude, though. You're acting a little cocky. Yeah. Luke's going to get you, man. All right. Luke, who said, work like hell? I mean, you just have to put in 80 to 100 hours every week. This improves your odds of success. That's Elon Bill Musk. Gates? Elon I've Musk. Heard 80 hours. I don't know, man. I think Oprah uh, said I'm that. Gonna I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Elon on that one. He's and the one. Luke, I think... you, my friend, are correct. Ooh, that was yes. Elon Musk. And yes, so we have we have ourselves a nail biter, a little tie going on here. Okay, question number three, Jason. You become what you believe, not what you think or what you want. Oh, that's easy. That's easy. <laughs> oh, uh, uh. <laughs> I'm going to go with. If you miss it, I'm giving Oprah. <laughs> Are you sure? Oh, I'm going with Oprah. You you hit it. You hit it. You got Oprah. <laughs> good one. Good two, one. Two to one. Two to one. Man, I didn't make these questions hard enough for something. You guys are freaking batting a thousand here. <laughs> All right. Luke, who said the true sign of intelligence is not knowledge, but imagination? Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Einstein, or Oprah. Like I remember my physics class, and I remember Einstein's face, and the word imagination is more important. Which I, I feel like that's related to him. Imagination and Einstein. So I'm going to go with that's Einstein. The, it's like that boom. black and white poster. That was, oh, man. He is yeah. I like how you did that. You guys that, was a, that was a yeah. good correlation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, rem I remember that poster, too. I did, too. I remember too, yeah. that. And that, that black and white poster of him just there. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I remember it. From junior high school, we had that. Yep, exactly. Yeah. exactly. That darn poster. <laughs> All right, Jason. Here's where you here's where you start screwing up right here. Who said, "If you are born poor, it's not your mistake. But if you die poor, it is your mistake." Wait. Oh. Uh, man, that's a good one. That that can be one of two of those individuals. For sure. I'm gonna one of two, only two. Yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. But I'm going to go with probably the wrong answer. But I'm going to go with Bill Gates. You're going to go with Bill Gates on that, eh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, if you miss it, I, I give it to Luke to steal, right? Yeah, You know, sure. if you miss it, you, you get... Yeah, go for it. You didn't miss it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, thought, ooh, I thought it was Einstein, too. Yeah. Okay, I would have said Einstein. Okay, okay, yeah. good one. Good you one. got I would have totally went with Elon on that one. That's just me. That's who, I was, that's who I was going to choose between. It was between Gates and Elon. Yeah. I would have yeah. said Einstein because he also said something about like 
there's two kinds of people in the world, people who get compound interest and people who pay it. So I thought that would kind of be a correlation with the poor. It's, yeah, okay. I said, yeah. smart yeah, enough yeah. to say something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just guessed. Okay. I'd, I, I, you know, we heard all this stuff about Einstein. I think it's just, a, you know, w when he grew up, you didn't have to be that smart back yeah, then. So he wasn't right. all that smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. All right. Uh, Luke, who said... Be thankful for what you have, you'll end up having more. If you concentrate on what you don't have, you will never, ever have enough. Uh, empty with uh, lack of specifics and substance, that is, I, I gotta say it's Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, not an Oprah fan, I see, okay. I mean, I am, but it's just, it's just you can't do anything with yeah. that. What are you gonna yeah, do yeah. with that? true. Is it? Uh, oh, you nailed it. You nailed <laughs> it. Oh, nice. Like, I also listen to a lot of Howard Stern, and he says these things on like Oprah's like uh, book audiobook, and I, I think I get a vibe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> listen now. This next one is almost a gimme. I'm going to go ahead and say this. I picked this one purposely because it's almost a gimme, okay. and I was honestly afraid you guys would be zero for five already. Uh, so here we go, or zero for six. But you're nailing. You're killing this. I'm going to have to rethink the way I do these contests next time. But here we go. Question seven. Who said? I'd like to die on Mars, just not on impact. Oh, dang it, man. I wish Oprah didn't talk like this all the time, but I'm going with <laughs> Elon. Elon. Yeah, yeah, good job, good job, good job. So, totally Elon. Dude, man, yep. dude lives thinking about, he I probably know. goes to bed thinking about Mars on his, in his sleep. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, Luke. Who said a person who never made a mistake, never tried anything new? Oh, a person who never mis made a mistake, never tried anything new. I'm going to narrow it down. This is like a CSP question. It's not Elon because it sounds like a classic kind of line. So someone a little bit older than Elon. I don't think it's Oprah because we just did an Oprah question. Uh, so it's between Bill Gates or Einstein. Oh, oh, oh I'm going to lose this game now. Is it Bill Gates or Einstein? Uh, a person who never mistake, never. I'm going to go with... Uh, Oh my God! Uh, the, do, 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 do. Person who never made a mistake, never learned anything new. Person never. I'll go with Bill. Never, never tried anything new. Person never mistake, never tried anything new. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Never, you never tried, never tried anything, tried anything new. I'll, I'll, I'll go with Bill. Are you sure? Yeah. Oh, man, you were so close. You oh, were so is close. Is it Einstein? It was, oh, it, it was Einstein. It, I, it was Einstein. Old, old something my grandpa would say. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay, Jason, okay. Jason, Jason, there's two more questions. You haven't won anything yet. So here we go. Oh, okay, 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 okay. This is your last question. Luke can still come back. Who said, I think it is possible for ordinary people to choose to be extraordinary? Well, it's definitely not Elon. Uh, uh, I'm going to go with Elon. <laughs> You're a shithead. 
Yes. <laughs> oh, wow. Yes, wow. Yeah. I would have said, do, Bill. How do you go five for wow. five on this stupid game? That's crazy. Uh, all right. I would have not said Elon. I would have not said that. And why am I mad at your success right now? I don't get that either. <laughs> oh, the heck. All I'm supposed to be the supportive podcast going. No matter what. <laughs> I think it's because when you got cocky, I wanted you to be brought back down to earth and it's not working out for me. All right. Last question for you, Luke. Just, just for giggles. Okay. The, the only source of knowledge is experience. Yeah. <laughs> Only source of knowledge is experience. I'm going to knock out Oprah. I'm going to knock out Einstein. So it's either Bill or Elon. Let's go with Bill again, though. It was Einstein, Whoa. surprisingly. Oh, my God. I need to read more Einstein. <laughs> good game. Good game. You're, good you're, game. Good game. Was, you're was a you're good not game. at the speed oh. on your Einstein. You're not no. at the speed on your Einstein, sir. I want to credit Bill for everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this was fun. Good game, Jason. Good game. Good yeah. game. That was a good that game. That was yeah, that was that was awesome. Hey, I got a I got a similar game, but it's something all one of the three of us have said. You want to play that game? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, that okay. sounds fun. Okay, uh, um, let's go with uh, let's go with the winner first. Okay, Jason, who said? I wonder what the hardest wood in North America. Is. Oh, that is. <laughs> Kevin, oh, that that is that is correct. <laughs> that is correct. Kevin did say that. This is more of a test I, of how well you two know each other. Oh, yeah. This is um, this is uh, okay. Um, Kevin, who said this? Um, I have an inheritance, and I want to give it all to you. I think that's going to be Mister Luke Ahmed. Um, that was that was actually Jason and one of he's talking about his Nigerian scams <laughs> in one of your podcasts. Oh, dang it! <laughs> I knew oh. I knew Jason. I knew that wouldn't have come out of Jason's mouth as a quote from Jason. <laughs> come though. on, he is a Nigerian man. He's pretending to be a Nigerian prince. Jason, man, um, okay. Who, who said this? Using a condom is due care. Taking the steps to decide whether to use the condom is due diligence. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> That's genius. Okay. Oh, oh man. <laughs> That's a good one. And it's a hard <laughs> one because Because <laughs> it could have been from a, a guest. Any of us. I'm going with Kevin. Well, that was that was Mr. Luca Med and his due yeah. care versus due diligence. <laughs> website everybody loves that line they're like once we heard that we never forgot what do care due diligence yeah i was gonna yeah. say luke you know i was it? gonna call i was gonna say that but it was so tasty that i thought kevin <laughs> kevin had to slip that out <laughs> i um, i i've got a few one-liners i do kevin uh how about this one um who said this are you saying i can't use my work password for my facebook account <laughs> that was that was me that was you. Good job. Yeah. That was you. I that remember you. I remember that. Yep. All right. Last one, Jason. Last one. We'll wrap it up. Uh, hi, this is Officer Sheriff Deputy Bendover. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's an intro. I remember that one. Yeah, that was Kevin. <laughs> yeah, that was that was Kevin. Nice. Oh, nice. Yeah. That was the game. I just wanted to read back some of the stuff you guys Yeah. Said. Oh, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. That was awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think we all won in that game. Yeah, that was a great one. That was a good <laughs>
guys, I had a lot of fun doing this. Um, look, I, I'm really enjoying this episode and the amount of content that we're providing. You know, I can, as we're talking through this, I can envision a student who is trying to work on their CISSP at varying stages, right? Listening to this or, or looking at this episode and picking out of this episode several things that can motivate, inspire, guide them to really continue on to success. And that's the point of why we're doing this. So I'm so grateful for having you on tonight and walking through all of this information with us as original as it will get. This is it. I, I truly believe that if you had to talk about this topic anywhere else with anyone else, you're not going to get a more original conversation around how to achieve success and the challenges involved in it and what does it really mean for you and, and your family and your lifestyle and the struggles that people go through, the whole kit and caboodle, everything that is involved around this 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 topic of this of the CISSP. And so I think there's a lot of really good nuggets in here that I'm hopeful that uh, students will be able to glean and take away from. And I'm excited to talk about where we're going next in this next episode. So uh, we're going to dive into the book. We're going to look deeper into why the book really is so impactful to students and the elements of the book and why by choosing to read that book can change your life in, in how you approach the CISSP for success. And we're going to talk about but some different topics and have some more fun segments like we just did. So uh, I'm trying to throw it out there and tease it so that you all will come back for the next episode uh, because I think it'll be an equally exciting one as, as this one was. Yep, for sure. Luke Ahmed part two, baby coming at you you next. So with that, all right, we're going to sign off and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to this episode of the Cyber Distortion Podcast. We're pleased that we now offer and have many options for consuming the content of our episodes. We offer the audio-only versions on all major streaming audio platforms. We offer video and audio formats, so you can take in all of the rich content visually if you'd like to. That's over on our YouTube channel at www.youtube.com slash at the cyber distortion podcast don't forget to help us grow the podcast by subscribing while you're out there feel free to drop comments on what topics you'd like to see us cover for future episodes you can also visit our brand new blog site that's out at cyberdistortionpodcast.com follow us on twitter at distortion cyber is our handle we release discount codes blurbs about upcoming episodes blog links, and of course, talk about drop locations for swag while we're out at various cybersecurity conferences like Black Hat and DEF CON. Speaking of swag, we have officially opened up the long-awaited Cyber Distortion Swag Shop, which is accessible either on our blog site at cyberdistortion.com or online directly at cyberdistortionswag.shop. We have tons of really cool new swag to offer help get the name out about the podcast and we're releasing new items all the time 
We're offering lots of discount codes right now at the end of most of our episodes. So listen for those and watch the Twitter page because we drop those there as well. I believe that's it for now. So until next time, cheers everybody. Take care, stay diligent, and remember, you are the last line of defense.